This is K-12 Tech Talk. K-12 Tech Talk. The podcast by K-12 Techs for K-12 Techs. Real conversations, real arguments, and real banter on trending K-12 technology topics and issues. Live from the somethingcool.com studios, this is the K-12 Tech Talk podcast. My name is Josh. This is episode 146. Uh, coming, well, we're not live. You guys all know that. This is all recorded. But with me tonight is Mark. Hello. And we do have have an absentee report tonight. Chris is, he says he's sick, but he's been texting us all day. So he's not so sick that he can't text. Um, and I have, someone told me they saw him out running a, a 5K. So I, I don't no we don't really know where chris is or why he can't be on but he's being lame and not joining us tonight uh so in his place in his stead as they you know the old timers say uh we have eric hello eric hey how you been it's been a while since you've been on here yeah it's been a minute and we can is he still eric the intern are we still calling him the intern i i think he's eric the unemployed um (laughs) i'll take it crystal calls him the intern yeah nice but yeah we can catch up we'll catch up with you here in a few minutes um but we've already talked about somethingcool.com jeremy and his folks over there uh let's quickly mention fortinet and eric you can tell me you can help me uh talk about fortinet here because now that you're uh, not associated with your former school um i actually had this conversation with someone yesterday and several people today about going full stack fortinet switching firewall core to edge um i a lot of people don't realize the 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 breadth and the depth of fortinet's product line but they do have an amazingly wide product line with a number of products and that does include edge switching and one of the things that fortinet likes to talk about is going full stack fortinet um, and managing it all from a central everybody's favorite phrase single pane of glass uh, in in the Fortigate, and Eric, correct me if I'm wrong here. Yeah. But you guys, before you before you met your untimely demise, uh, <laughs> you, you had migrated over to more or less full stack Fortinet, right? Yep. Yep. Um, we had just implemented uh, all of the switching and uh, two new gates running in uh, a high high availability capacity and i will definitely say that it was a really great experience to be able to set everything up through that single pane of glass um being able to manage vlans and all your firewall rules all in one place was it was pretty convenient so if someone has a concern of i know hp aruba cli forward and backward how quickly will i pick up fortinet uh commands and management um, from a command standpoint, it's, it is similar and I won't speak entirely to that. I was living a lot in the GUI, so you can hate on me there, but, um, they're very similar language. Um, you can pull up the CLI for all of those switches, uh, either through the gate or directly on the, the switch itself. Cool. So there you have it. If you are interested and, and, you know, Eric, you said it was a wonderful experience and it was um, I think most of that wonderfulness came from being able to work with Chris Illingworth, um, yeah. the local, the local sales guy. Um, gotta give, gotta give Troy some love there too. Uh, Troy too. That's true. Troy's a fun guy. 
so yeah, shoot uh, Chris an email. Let me pull up his email real quick. I should have it memorized by now because they've supported us for such a period of time. Uh, shoot, a, send an email to Fortinet Podcast at Fortinet.com. Um, sounds like it's their own podcast, but it's us. That's the email address that they've given us for uh, our listeners to email and get more information. So if you're interested about going full stack Fortinet or just want to know more about their Forta sensors or Forta analyzer or whatever, uh, send an email over to him. Mark, have you made it down to the news desk yet, Mark? I'm I'm there. I all got right. all the news we, ready to go. We need to get a background for the news desk, by the way. Um, so we can tell when, when you've made it there. Um, so what news do we have this week, Mark? Well, there was a story that, uh, actually you were the the first one to share this one. Uh, there was a cyber attack on, uh, on a school district, uh, Butte school district out in Montana. Uh, and, uh, we're, these are stories that are, you know, we're, we're hearing these stories left and right. Uh, one of the things that makes this one unique though, is that it appears this was, not the first attack that this was uh, maybe their second attack uh, into it. And so uh, one of the things, you know, you, you get a number of lessons learned, but one of the things I think that we're going to start to see in the next you know year or so is that uh, as you get attacked, um, the folks that are, are stealing data from you and trying to ransom you are also ransoming and stealing your data to send to other attackers and sell that to other attackers to, Say hey, by the way, I took down the school district, and here's your pathway in. Who wants to uh, to to sell me uh, or to buy this this pathway from me? So I think that's the something something for us to all think about is that you know the first attack may not be the only one, uh, and so when you are in that unfortunate situation, uh, it is absolutely imperative that you start to close out your doors, close up your doors and windows as as fast as possible, so that you don't have a a reoccurring attack. Uh, so. News out of uh, that was out of Butte, Montana, uh, and I do think stories like that we're going to start to see a lot more of in 2024. Uh, the other story, uh, which interestingly at the time of this recording is not yet a story, but we know that it will be. Uh, Google at the towards the end of the day today, uh, depending on well, I guess depending on what coast you're on, uh, did have a pretty bad outage uh, that impacted. Uh, not just Google search, but Gmail and Drive. Uh, we started to hear phone calls from our staff and students about this. Um, uh, interestingly, through something else that uses Google sign-on that they couldn't get in. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Down Detector, if you're not familiar with that website, it's one of my my favorite tools to use. Uh, Down Detector just kind of crowdsourced outages. Uh, and we started seeing every sort of Google service flaring up. Uh, Josh, you are also saying that this is not Google's first issue in the last week or so. No, it seems like we've been getting a lot of Google alerts um, lately as far as outages or investigating outages. It And that it seems out of place for them. It seems like their uptime has been better than that. Um, yeah. But it does seem like there's been a, a marked increase of just uh, admitted issues. And, you know, they don't admit to every issue. Uh, that they have or every kind of hiccup that happens it takes them 20 minutes to an hour to actually come out and admit things uh so yeah it, it's interesting that those emails are flying much faster much more frequent and if you aren't yeah. um, you can subscribe to those alerts and they have different categories of alerts that you can subscribe to uh so if you if you aren't getting those go out and and double check that uh 
one comment to back up just the hair on the butte thing um it looks like you know this this attack happened in early november their other attack it looks like um was back in may of 22 and that was a uh, direct deposit scam so you know those attacks can be varied and and mark you know to your point if if there's a password dump that takes place and you're not actively having people change passwords or you don't have multi-factor turned on you're you're ripe for that type of information to be to be leveraged so right uh, right. yep definitely take care of that um so when the uh going back to the the google issue today uh one of the things when we started to get phone calls about it is um and this is not to go back to my plug on down detector uh uh, but one of the things that can really help you with a site like that is to look and see if it is the provider, the vendor, or, and, and is, this has happened quite a lot too, uh, a, kind of a third party intermediary service, like a networking service, or maybe even hosting. Uh, so if you are not familiar with down detector, I definitely recommend giving that one a shot and keeping that, you know, you know, somewhere in your bookmarks so that when you do have an issue, you can quickly see, is it this service or is it maybe something in between? Uh, yeah. So I'll hit, I'll hit down detector and it's, it's, always, I'm going to say this and it's going to sound horrible. It's always fun to hit down detector when you're having an outage like this and to see a bunch of red lines go up. Like when there's yeah. an AWS, like AWS West having a problem and there's just site after site after site that are all down. It's like, okay, whew, it's, it is not us. It's yeah. not my DNS. It's somebody else's DNS causing the problem because it's, we all know. It's always yep. DNS. Um, yeah. I so. always like seeing on that website when something like Google goes down or Microsoft goes down, what other people report as being down because they think it's something else. So what I noticed today was when Google's down, like Verizon and all of a sudden these all these internet services oh, were also spiking because I think people are saying my internet's down. Yeah. My my I'm having a problem with my my home Wi-Fi when it's really actually Google. So interesting. <laughs> question for you both um, when you're experiencing these issues how quick are you at letting people in your district know that it is a, an issue with google or uh, other services i was just going to say that's a really good question today was unique um when it manifested for us first it was a phone call from one of my teachers in a lab that said they were getting uh http 502 errors and we thought ah, that that's really strange and then uh, one of the group chats I'm in, somebody messaged and said, hey, is anybody else seeing weird Google errors? So then I knew it was it was wider than us. If someone else was seeing it. I went ahead and sent out a message. So we're talking within five to seven minutes of the first report to us. I sent out that message. Now, sometimes if I don't, if I don't have a corroborating story from outside my district, I'll, I'll pump the brakes a little bit to see if I'm having a problem. Um, before I send that problem out or that email out, Mark. Yeah, about the same. I think one thing for us is depends on what the service is, how important it is. Yeah. Versus, you know, is this used across the district versus just by a few people? And then time of day, uh, that's a big one for us. We did send a message out to let people know that there was an issue with Google, but also I know I don't really need to be too detailed with follow ups because it was at the end of the day for us on the East Coast. One of the things is everything in schools is run pretty much in the cloud especially for students. And yeah. so whenever any of those services that you're dependent on goes down, 
it immediately looks bad on your department because everybody starts saying oh, sure. the internet's down, right? Yep. So um, I always feel like there's just this difficult balance to to ride in terms of not sending out too many notifications to say like, hey, it's this service's fault that you're not able to access. Because some days it felt like it was five times a day that something was having an issue. Yeah. And like those alerts from Google, I won't send all of those out to staff. I'll, I'll really only alert our staff if I know we're having a problem or we're experiencing that same problem. Um, because like you said, Eric, too many emails and then people don't read your emails. They don't read them anyway. Um, so yeah, I think you have to, you have to balance that whenever you uh, start sending out alerts. Do either of you use, uh, utilize like the status dashboard for anything of key services in the district? Internally, I do not, no. Uh, yeah, we have a, a status website that aggregates all the different services that we use. Very helpful. Hmm. So. Is that something you guys built, Mark, or is that a product? Uh, it's a product. It's a third-party product, actually. All right. Uh, Mark, any other news? This is where you do the ad for Status Gator. Oh, they're not. They're not a, they're not <laughs> I, a sponsor I was, right now, Mark. I was going to oh. mention it, but I didn't know if they were sponsors. But not right now. They were, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were a few weeks ago. No, it's fine. We can give them another plug. Yes, this is where a service like Status Gator can come in handy. Mark, come on up from the newsroom in the basement. Uh, <laughs> come on up those stairs, and we will continue the conversation. Um, let's see. Let's talk extreme real quick. I know Chris last week mentioned that he had a extreme switch issue. Was that? Did he mention that last week? All all of our texting and conversations blur together to me. But Chris had a uh, extreme switch failure. And uh, he was replacing it. I think it was like next business day or two days later, he was replacing that switch <clears throat> spent some time on the phone with extreme support. It was a stacked switch. This was the first time he was doing that and they got it taken care of and replaced in about 30 minutes. Chris said he was very, very impressed with extreme support and uh, tax support. So if you're in the market, it's getting to be that time of year. If you're getting in the, in the market for a, uh, a switch replacement, we, we've already talked about Fortinet and their edge switching. Uh, check out Extreme Networks. Email Dominic over at Extreme, D-Mayer, M-A-Y-E-R, at ExtremeNetworks.com to learn more. All right, Mark, what is our next topic? Uh, listener emails. You want to talk about yeah, these? Yeah, so... This one actually comes from K12 Tech Pro. Uh, Eric, have uh, you heard of K12 Tech Pro? <laughs> uh, I live K12 Tech Pro. Did they kick you out when you left K12? Are you Listen, now I'm a shunned? special consultant? Oh, okay, okay, okay. Uh, so part of the the tagline with K12 Tech Pro is that it's a private uh, conversation. So we are going to censor a, a portion of this one to protect both the person who posted it as well as some other comments in it. However, it's a very fascinating conversation. The question reads, I recently received a question from my director of ed services regarding FERPA, and I was wondering if anyone had some insight on this. A week or so ago, one of my staff was asked to never include a student's name in an email as it can violate FERPA. As you can imagine, this would be challenging, if not impossible. And this is also not my understanding, training, or interpretation of FERPA. We reached out to another school district who said, yes, it is illegal to include the student name, parent name, phone number, etc., as it is a violation of ed code and FERPA unless you are truly secure in your IT system, and most are not. Love to get the community's input on this. Josh or Eric, love to hear your thoughts first. Ooh. 
yeah. So this is always FERP is one of those subjects that like unless I can find documentation or some sort of supporting opinion, um, I I try to avoid making a, a hard fast opinion on. But I do know just from experience, student name, from what I understand, is considered directory information. Um, and if you have if you have a consent in your if you collect a consent from from parents, we do it during online registration. This is the same kind of thing that covers you from or with uh, publishing a picture in the paper. Well, papers kind of 1970s, but Facebook, social media. If if your district Facebook page is posting pictures of students or naming students, you know, star student of the month, whatever, that directory information acceptance covers that. Um, so that's. That's my understanding of it, Mark or Eric. What are your What's your opinion? Well, one, I think there is a, kind of an important piece of that about having a secure email. Um, what, what was the quote there, Mark? Secure it, email. It was something about sending out an email with student names. Yeah, that this person was saying it's illegal to uh, right to include a student's name unless the districts. What was it saying? There was an unless. If the district network was secure or the system was secure. Okay. So I, I'm kind of curious as to what they mean about that for one, but I'm, I'm with Josh there. The student name is directory information as, uh, as defined by FERPA. Um, and then there were also opt-outs for considering information, directory information. Now, when you start getting into other things like student ID and uh, more identifying information, but that's, that's where it, it, it gets dangerous. Um, the, the thing that I was kind of bringing up about that secure network is, I, I brought this up in a conversation on K-12 Tech Pro is, how long do your emails in your district with personally identifiable information exist out there on your email server unencrypted? Uh, well, I'm gonna say not unencrypted, but readable by anybody who wants to read it. Um, like, do does information disappear after a certain amount of time, require a lock, um, get rescinded, require a code for resend? Um, so that, that's been like kind of my reflection over the last couple months is, how can schools be doing that a little better um, when there's sensitive information in emails? How long does it, it, it exist out there? But I'm, I'm in agreement with Josh there. Well, the answer to that question is no, it is not illegal to include a student's name or other PII in an email, mainly because FERPA does not cover that stuff. FERPA does not say what is allowed or was not allowed in terms of email or electronic systems. Keep in mind, FERPA was written in the 70s it was not designed to govern where your data can and cannot be stored. Its intent is to de uh, determine um, who can access a student's record uh, and ensure that a family and a student has access to their record. So taking that in into consideration, if you are including a student's name in an email, first off, that's totally allowable, as long as the person that email is going to is allowed to see that record that you've you've made or you're sending the other piece though and this is a little bit more practical uh if you are including a student's name in an email depending on what the content of that email is it could be construed as a student's record and so then you've got to be careful with that 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 email 
may suddenly have been, uh, uh, it may now be a part of the student's record. And that student has a right to see, to, uh, you know, under certain circumstances, see their, their record. Um, and so then it comes down to what are your district's practices and policies around access to student records and retention, as you mentioned, Eric. Um, so no, it is not illegal to include a student's name, but once you do include a student's name in an email or you're including PII, uh, that email could be um, put under uh, a different policy, local policy, or be, could, could be construed as part of the student's records. So you still have to be careful. Yeah, and I, Eric, your your discussion about um, archiving or and really not archiving, but auto deleting messages or auto destroying messages, man, that is a sticky, sticky situation. Yeah, to even even to bring that conversation up in a room with other employees, because you yeah. have very staunch, I'd never delete anything, which I'm in that boat. To yeah. I want a clean inbox and I want no mail. Um, yeah. yeah, that is a conversation that there will be hands thrown over. Um, so, and and I brought that up because there are systems out there that whenever um, they recognize that there's PII as defined by what you say it is, even if it had a tagline to say student, student ID or student name, um, that the, the system's automatically going to... Um, set that file to um, be removed from inboxes and have to be requested again later so that it can't just live out there. Um, and then there, for example, like if you had an, an email that was set to that limitation for a week or two weeks or whatever, it would require some sort of two-factor authentication to recover it. And, and just in that instance, that if, if that inbox ever gotten in the hands of the wrong person, that PII is automatically gone. Um, so like there, there's a lot less liability there and I just, schools aren't really doing that. Um, and I think that's a, an area that schools could improve upon, but the, the whole idea that another piece of this that I think happens a lot in schools is teachers will send an all building email about a student. Mm -hmm. Now that comes into a very gray area in terms of does that teacher have a legitimate interest in that student's education? Um, and some schools say, yeah, we're all involved in educating these students. So is that in the gray area there or would that hold up in court? I don't know. It is up to the building administrator to kind of make that final determination. Um, but that is, that's a very common practice that I think we need to be very careful about. I, I think setting the expectation that students have a right to privacy would be my first reason to say we don't need to send that email out to everybody. Mm -hmm. and you know, that, that can get into a conversation about um, moderated distribution lists. Yeah. Um, you know, does, does your school have a building wide distribution list that just anybody can, you know, any member can send to it and it's immediately sent or does it require a moderation from a building administrator? And, and that administrator has to think, like in your case there, Mark, does does the entire building need to see this about student XYZ? Uh, yeah, that's an interesting point. Yeah. So at the end of the day, if you are sending PII or student records via email to a person who has access to that record, you are not breaking any laws. You are not breaking any sort of federal or state laws. Now, again, I don't know all 50 state laws, but you do need to check your local district, city, or state 
record laws and and uh, email laws to make sure that you don't have any sort of local issues. But federal FERPA does not say that you can or cannot send that record via email. You could get yourself into trouble if you have very, very loose practices or loose security. The email gets to the wrong person. The issue you now have is that the wrong person who is not authorized to see the record now has, but you are not in trouble for emailing PII over email. And I think under FERPA, under FERPA, the bigger question would be the kind of litmus testing is your district posting pictures or posts with student names in them as well. It, to me, that's, that's worse than sending an email because email is kind of directed to a, a person or a group. Um, yeah. So yeah, think about that a little bit. And while we're on the topic, K-12 Tech Pro, there's a couple other interesting posts out there this uh, recently. Uh, we haven't, they have a new member from Turkey. That's uh, our, I think the first person from Turkey that's joined. Um, Jason made a post about some awesome CISA resources. Uh, so if you're not on K-12 Tech Pro, um, Eric's dog is not there, but um, there are professionals from across the country, across the world out there sharing resources, resources information, uh, current trends they're seeing, current attack factors they're seeing. So uh, go join. Don't be afraid to hit that, that sponsored membership if you can't uh, afford it or can't pay it. Um, yeah, go check that out. Also, there um, we mentioned this last episode. Secure Ed Conference is coming up next month in January. We do have a discount code that we'll put in the uh, show notes, show description. So if you're wanting, it's a virtual conference, two days, all about uh, school tech. So and and we will be leading a session. So if you want to see us lead a session or uh, check out the other sessions, uh, look in the show notes for the uh, discount code. Um, real quick, I'm going to talk about NTP. NTP, uh, if you are a Sentinel-1 customer and you're up for renewal or you are evaluating next-gen AV, um, you need to give David an email and see what he can do for you because uh, chances are he can probably save you money or come in cheaper and offer you a SOC-managed service. Email dren, D-W-R-E-N at ntp-inc.com. Um Mark, our main topic for the week. What do we got? It's a tough one. I know. I know. And you text this this afternoon and I'm like, oh man, Mark, I don't know if we want to get into this. Censorship, right, is our main topic for tonight. Uh, and this is uh, an issue that's being discussed quite regularly uh, right now due to current world events. Uh, it's also an issue that's been talked about over the last few years uh, due to parent involvement and uh, different parent groups that have really pushed the topic of censorship. I wanted to ask the two of you how you handle in your role as CIO tech director with access to tools that censor or remove content, how you handle this difficult topic, what are your guardrails and best practices um, and, and how you handle, handle yourself or handle this, this particular task who's involved in your conversation or your consult consultations. And at the end of the day, when do you remove content from your environment and when do you leave it there? This, this is always a very touchy subject. Um, you know, with us being governmental entities as public school educators or public school employees and the first amendment, the little thing called the first amendment, um, it, it's definitely a touchy subject. I've taken the stance of that's not my decision. I click the buttons. So I'm happy to 
click the buttons when told by a superior. Um, you know, it's funny this week we, there was a request for a website unblock because the, I don't remember the reason why it was blocked. It's some goofy website, like conspiracy theory website. And, um, our, my, my department's role in this is we, we do the blocking or unblocking, but we have to have, uh, someone in an authority tell us that, um, if it's a change. So we typically go to the building administrator and say, Hey, this is the website. This is the rationale. Um, what do you think? Well, this, this, um, website was clearly a conspiracy theory website. And I, the, I think the building administrator just cursory glanced at it, didn't really read what was going on and said, yeah, approve it. And we'll, both of my guys in the office were like, ah, this, this might deserve a second look. Like we, we really need to look at this. Um, that's really about, you know, the, the only other thing that I can think of off the top of my head is if an email came in or that, oh, we did have a, an email several years ago that got sent out by mistake that I had to mass delete from inboxes, but we, you know, it's, it's few and far between that we've been called on to uh, delete anything. Now my PR person manages our Facebook page page. I don't know how often he's hiding uh, comments or, you know, inflammatory type things. Um, so yeah, thankfully I haven't been involved in that a whole, whole lot. Eric. Okay. You so, got to censor, censor that dog. Yeah. I am trying, yeah. You're going to, you're going to hear some bleeping here. <laughs> I'm, I'm cussing at the dog in the background. Censor me. I don't know. Um, Okay, so I was over our library programs, <laughs> and that got real interesting during COVID. In Missouri? Um, what? Come on, uh, Eric. And the reality is, you have two sides to this. On the one side, you've got uh, a parent or an individual who's upset about the content that you're making available. And on the other side, you have the ACLU staring right back at you saying, if you don't make that available, that's a violation of civil liberties. And um, so the reality is there's there's got to be a there's got to be a balance there. And I leaned very heavily on board policies stating how content need, would need to be removed and how it was selected. Um, so and there it, it, I had to go back and remind our librarians regularly, we're not going to pull things off the shelves because someone doesn't like it we will pull things off the shelves if it meets our policy. And uh, essentially our policy was saying like a community guideline or community standard. Um, just because someone's upset that their child has access to this doesn't mean that somebody else's wouldn't be upset if their child didn't have access to it. Um, so what it comes down to is as, uh, as a parent, you should have say in your child's education, of course. And there are instances where if you don't want your child to have access to something, there are ways and even policies that can be written to limit your child's access to that specific content within the school, but not for everyone. Um, and that's what it came down to for me. And I know I'm talking mostly about library, but it even comes into content filtering. If you are so strict with your content filtering that you are limiting what students can learn or search, and that may um, infringe upon someone's civil liberties of being able to search that, that that's also a danger zone. So I really tried to stick to the main things that uh, SIPA required for the filtering and not try to play police on too much. So 
Yeah, uh, libraries are a very, very hot topic, uh, to say the least, uh, this time of year. Um, all, all times of the year, actually. Um, I have so many jokes, but I'm refraining. I know. I, we, we are censoring ourselves right now. <laughs> we are. And Chris is, isn't even here. The, we could take this in so many directions right now. No. <laughs> <laughs> we bring up that Chris is the censor of this group. We've had to censor Chris. We've all at let me. This is a little sidetrack here. All three of us have had to be censored at some oh, point. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, several of us last week. Um, Some sometimes uh, it is a beep on the the recording, and other times it is completely wiped out from the episode. Last week is an example of <laughs> of some stuff getting wiped out. So there are large swaths of that episode missing. Ah, uh, just a few tiny ones. <laughs> so I, I do have to know who who was the most deleted person on that episode. I think it's even. Okay, could not Chris. Last, last, last week. Yeah, last week. Yeah, yeah. last week. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Chris wasn't deleted. We'll just say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna just move on from that. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. So Eric, you, you libraries are tough. Um because you are going to mix media and you're going to a subject that has been uh, highly fought uh, over, over many, many years with, with book burning um, incidents happening recently, as well as, as decades ago. Well, you can't mix media in public, but you know, behind your own doors, you do whatever you want. Is that the joke <laughs> there? We're going to censor that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I mean, for me, I think when it comes to, uh, images and video, it's a lot. E it's an easier conversation uh, because you you know when the content needs to be removed. So if somebody is receiving a chat or an email and there's a photo or a video, it, there's there's rarely a time where we are debating whether or not something needs to be removed. You know it when you see it. When it is text, I'm definitely a whole lot more um, conservative. I guess you could say. I I gotta be careful with how I use that word here. Um, I am less likely to remove content that is text-based um, than I am when it's audio or video. And the main reason is uh, it is all contextual. It is all how the words are used and, and how the words are or who is sending or receiving that text. Um, and it comes back down to libraries and books and censorship there. I will say for me, the, the line that I cross or I don't cross is any sort of text in an email, chat, or otherwise that is inducing or, or threatening violence. Um, if somebody is making a threat, I'm gonna remove that content from our environment, whether it is an email or a website. Uh, if somebody is threatening violence uh, or discussing violence that has happened, that's content that has no place in a school and, and does need to be removed, especially if there are uh, students involved. Um, that's a really, really hard thing to do though in high schools, because you're often looking at or, or being alerted to websites that are about war or about battles or about those kinds of things. And Research you be projects. Really, really careful. Research projects. Um, I like to say that the filter throws up the most alerts about high school history classes than anything. Um, but that should be very easy for you to distinguish whether or not that's historical content or there is something else going on. Josh? I, I, I agree completely. You, you, each of you went a direction in that answer that I did not expect. Um, you know, I was looking at it more from um, interactions with the public 
And I think mm-hmm. you guys were more interactions with content that the district provides, which it, it's all topics that that come up and are and potentially can be an issue. Um, it's just interesting you guys went that way and I, I went a different way. Um, well, what what is your kind of take on public and interactions with the public? Because it's, uh, it's, it's also a very big topic we're talking about. Huge, today. huge. And again, that's where I rely on individuals that um, I'm, I'm clicking the button. It, it's, it, it, I sound like a broken record and, and maybe it's a cop out more than anything of someone else makes that decision that knows that content and the rules associated with that content better than I do. I cannot be an expert in everything, even though I pretend to be most days. Um, I think it's very important to know when you don't know that answer and when you should go to someone else for that answer. I I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm taking the weenie way out or the, the, you know, the baby way out of it, but um, I'm not comfortable making most of those decisions yeah and i don't know if that's appropriate or not what's your comment mark brings me back to my constitutional law class because i was a social studies teacher and i think it was in the 60s uh justice potter stewart and i don't know the supreme court case it applied to but it was about pornography and obscenity and he said i know it when i see it (laughs) <laughs> and that's yeah. that's what i feel like it really this whole conversation boils down to is like i i don't know how to explain it but i know it when i see it <laughs> well and 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 let's take this just group of friends that we are here you know the three of us you add in chris the four of us i i'm willing to bet that each of us have a different threshold of obscenity and pornography I, I can be willing to bet that someone in the group has a much more conservative and much more uh, lax view potentially than what than what I would have. Um, mm-hmm. So that's where you get into trouble. You know, who's who's making that decision? I, it, it's interesting, too. I I almost consider myself of on like the on the social media scale of censorship. There's Twitter at the extreme of like you can see or or look at anything you want on Twitter. Instagram is a little bit more filtered, but still not appropriate for kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then like TikTok, uh, it's for the most part, TikTok is is relatively moderated or safe. And I'm definitely more in terms of how I deal with things at work on the TikTok side of things. Um, but there are definitely those who feel that, hey, uh, you know, our kids should be exposed to uh, more than 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 what you might see on uh, on TikTok, and and they're more on the Instagram, Twitter side of things. So, so. Here, here's okay, perfect example. Mark, your your ranking was uh, Twitter. You anything you want, Instagram is next, a little bit more restrictive, and TikTok is very restricted, right? Yes. See, I I see more Instagram and TikTok being similar because you can't see any private body parts on any of those products, but the, some of the videos can be rather suggestive. We'll just say that on both of those products. So I, I, I see them as both being very, if you want to find a lewd video on Instagram, you can find it. And I think if you want to find a lewd video on TikTok, you can find it. Is that, uh, what is it? But in, in even in their guidelines, and this goes kind of to the whole conversation about censorship, and I think that Supreme Court 
uh, justice that I was referencing there, the case, if I remember correctly, had to do with whether something was art or pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's even, like, that's such a, a difficult sure. area to define. And I think even these social media platforms are like, well, that's art. Uh, yeah. I, I, I do remember... <laughs> This is actually kind of funny uh, talking to a content filtering company when they were talking about how they define uh, nudity and it was uh, in the algorithm was hot dog or not. <laughs> and we're going to censor that out. No, that... <laughs> if Chris was here, we'd have to censor that. We're not, we're leaving that. Chris's name's uh, not on this episode. All right. Well, um, you know, the, the issue, too, that, that is also in the news uh, is around uh, the conflict, the Israel-Palestine conflict. And uh, and that is it's definitely an issue that I think many, many school districts, um, K to 12, but more importantly, right now, at least this week, higher ed is is wrestling with. Yeah. Uh, and when does something move from free speech into censorship? We are not lawyers uh, and, and we are not probably not in the same state as you. So obviously you need to understand what your state's rules and laws are. You need to understand what your district's policies are. More importantly, you need to know who you're going to ask when you have a question uh, and getting a second opinion, as Josh mentioned, I think is, is the best thing you can take away from this conversation. Tread lightly and carefully would be there. My recommendation. Uh, real quick, let's talk about Visor. <clears throat> They released a huge update, massive update, the biggest update ever. People love it. People, everybody loves it. They've said it's the best update ever. Um, they have over 60 new features uh, to help schools manage Chromebooks. You know, people have come to me, they said it's the best update. Uh, highlights include automating Chromebook power washing, new auto assign algorithm based on the Chromebook recent logons, which is super cool. Uh, new rules engine, which permits ton, tons of Chromebook management automations like OU assignments and stuff like that. K-12 Tech Talk listeners can get a 20% off coupon code if you go to visor.cloud slash K-12 Tech Talk. That's V-I-Z-O-R dot cloud slash K-12 Tech Talk. Go, uh, go check them out if, that, if you're in the market for uh, some Chrome, Chromebook management stuff. Mark, anything else? I got nothing. Got nothing. Eric, you have any uh, closing thoughts? How's life been now that you're not in K-12 anymore? Man, it's less stressful. And that's that's <laughs> funny because when I came to K twelve, I said the same thing. This is so, so much less stressful than the business world, the real world. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah. How do you feel now? Uh I still would take this over a twenty four seven environment in healthcare every day of the of the week. Yeah. No, I, I'm not in healthcare. I, I'm not in a situation where people's lives depend on my my decisions. But your printer printing. Yeah. Uh, I will definitely say that I have a, there's a whole appreciation for what K-12 techs do. Um, You're, you are working on shoestring budgets with staff that are far too small and you are doing great things for kids. And you know what? I I think one of the statements that was made to me, if not you, then who Uh, working in a school? And I think, that's oftentimes what you all get is uh, if I don't do it, then who's going to do it? And there's just an ever-growing dependency on on technology that's quadrupled, or I, I don't even know the exponential increase over the last ten years. But you have a huge responsibility, and I have uh, utmost appreciation. 
says the guy that just quit his job in K-12 uh. technology <laughs> was lured away. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. Yeah. You, you know, you're, you're doing a little bit of everything, every role and you know, it, it's yeah. just wild. All right. Well, that was episode uh, 146. Uh, shoot us an email, k12techtalk at gmail.com. We do have a YouTube channel now that I think we've uploaded the last three, four, five episodes on. So you can see our beautiful faces and our lovely backgrounds. Um, we we also gonna... have an, an OnlyFans uh, channel uh, that you can see all of the uncensored versions. <laughs> uncensored. Of these That's what we should do. We should yeah. upload the uncensored episodes to OnlyFans. That oh, would man. work. <laughs> is that kind of content even allowed on there? We yeah. will make content that is allowed on there. <laughs> It'll work. Hey, so I do have to say, I, I listened, was it last week's episode, Notes to My Younger Self? Yeah. Yep. If, if I had just had that episode, you know, a little sooner, I may not have left K-12. Oh, <laughs> that's a lot. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Eric, what is on your, in, in closing, what is on your Spotify wrapped up playlist? Oh, you know, there's, uh, honestly, right now, what was on that wrapped up playlist was um, This is Halloween from Nightmare Before Christmas because my children absolutely love Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, a lot of kids' music, a lot of Coco Melon. Um, and a, a lot of Bruce Springsteen too. Don't blame your kids for Coco Melon. No, I'm blaming them for Bruce Springsteen. Mm. <laughs> they're 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 well rounded, two and five year old. A little Joni Mitchell, you know. Mark, uh, do we have a ticket update on your fish tickets? No, uh, it turns out I um it, it's a, it's a lottery, so I'll oh. be finding out um I, by the next episode I should find out if cool. I'm going um. I, I might have a lot of extra tickets. Let's let's just say we put a lot of uh, what do you call it? Sticks in the fire. Yeah. 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 No irons in the fire. Irons in the fire. Eggs in the basket. Fish yeah. in the net. Yeah. Cigarettes yeah. in the pack. I don't know. All right. Uh, so go like our YouTube channel. K twelve. Go search for K twelve Tech Talk. Hit that smash that subscribe button. As all the kids say, um, we need more subscribers to do some things like live maybe. So uh, go check us out over on, on uh, YouTube. And that's mainly because Google's getting rid of uh, their podcast service and they're pushing everybody through YouTube now. Uh, thanks for listening. Send us an email. We love listener feedback or listener questions. Uh, we, we will say your name or we won't say your name. You let us know. Thanks for listening. See you next week. The views and opinions expressed on the K-12 Tech Talk podcast are the personal opinions of Josh, Chris, and Mark, and do not represent the views or opinions of our sponsors or other organizations that we're affiliated with. The material information presented here is for general information and entertainment purposes only. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.